Daniel Liebrich. He's our guest speaker today, all the way from Belgium. He's an amazing uh, man. He's, he's been involved in this church probably since the church has been in this location, if not yeah, he was little. His dad, his dad was a missionary that we supported, and now, now he, he, he has followed in his dad's footsteps. So uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Daniel Liebrich. Uh Not only uh, a, uh, a missionary, but I would class him as a friend. So... Amen. It's great to be among friends. And I followed some of you for so long. You're like family. And those of you who don't know me, you should have stayed away. <laughs> News from our family. Well, you, you have heard that my mother went to be with Jesus and it was a deliverance for her and made life a bit easier for us because she had, it was more and more difficult to take care of her. And when you, you want to take care of your parents, but things are getting very difficult, it hurts. And the Lord was gracious in the way she went. You know, my mother was an amazing person. I'm an evangelist, and part of the reason is she was an evangelist. I'm not making fun of her, and you, you, will, you will get the end of the story. I would go by her house every day, except when I was traveling. I would then ask my daughter to, to fill in for me or my wife. But my wife has elderly parents as well, so she doubled duty. So that, that particular day, I, I went over to her house. She hadn't answered the phone at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, which was... It would happen. She didn't have to get up for anybody. So if she didn't sleep well, she slept in the morning. So by, the, by 11 o'clock, I, I got a little puzzled. So I went up. I opened the door. I said, Mommy? And I heard her voice. I said, okay. So I go into the room, and she's on the floor by her bed. And she says, Daniel, why did you bring these people into my house last night? I said, I didn't bring anybody in the house, mommy. Yes, you did. And there was that guy with a hairy suitcase, sort of reddish. I said, no, I didn't. And you had them sleep over there in the other rooms. I said, no, I didn't. And one lady slept in my bed. And they were from Mars. So I knew I hadn't brought Martians in the house. That I knew. So we kept talking, and, and she said, but I wasn't scared because they were Christians. And I said, how did you know? I asked them, do you believe in Jesus? Wherever you came from, across the street, across the world, or in, from a different galaxy or planet, she was going to ask you if you believed in Jesus. The heart of an evangelist. And yes, her mind was slowly going, but that passion to share Christ remained. 
And if you walked into the house, there was a little dresser on the right side. There were always New Testaments and Gospels right there, ready to be handed out. Now we're going to go into November very soon, and my mom would say, Daniel, I need to have these daily calendars, and they, each day there's a message. You need to buy them for my neighbors. That's who she was. And she is with Jesus, and we're extremely glad she is, though sometimes I miss going up to her home every day. There were days it was heavy, but now I miss going to her place. She, but I know she's with Dad, and they're in a much better place. Do we really believe that? Oh, I, I, I told you, I loved it when you were talking about after, because the best is yet to come. Thank you for your many years and being part of our team. Uh, it's, it's amazing to have a church here on North Alpine that has been with us for something like 40 years and with our family for more. It's just amazing you've been able to put up with me for so long. I don't even put up with myself for so long. But you've been here. I did bring the chocolate. Yes, it's on the table. <laughs> and uh, please help yourself. I'm always known as the sweetest man because of the chocolate. I don't know if it's happened to you, probably has. You're home and you feel like eating something. That ever happens to you? And you go over to the fridge and you open the fridge and you scan from top to bottom and there's nothing that seems to meet what you have a taste for. And you open the cupboards and the pantry and you look. Ever happens to you? There's something that we, we would like to taste and it's not there. And in some ways, this world is something like that. We have a taste for something. And nothing in this world seems to satisfy it. Solomon one of the great kings of the people of Israel, tried to fill this desire, these desires in his life. And this is what he wrote. I mean, he was in a privileged situation. He was a king. Not a king like today, a king like then. Kings could do whatever they wanted, and they usually had the resources to do it. King Solomon it's not that he had uh, a Maserati and a Jaguar and a Ferrari, but he had, it said, something like a thousand horses. And he could choose. And the pleasures of sexuality, well, he also had a thousand females to choose from. 300 wives and seven... I mean, I can, I can hear my mother from here. She would say, oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> he had what the world had to offer. And he writes, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. He decided, I've got everything. I should enjoy myself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use, use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. 
my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I bet he never opened the door. There was always a slave ready to open the door for him. He never did dishes. I do dishes. I even did dishes last night. We had pizza on paper plates, and I took care of the dishes. <laughs> Solomon, I mean, he had it made as far as this world is concerned. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. And that includes his father David. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubites, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. I mean, his reputation went abroad and on and on it went. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart, you know, I travel, and sometimes I come up on a beautiful car. I know women, it's a man thing. And I, I, I see this car, and I think, oh, I'd love to sit in it and drive it and go for a spin. So I usually take a picture, and I send it to my son, Joel, because I know he likes great cars. And he'll reply, it is such a brand, this is the horsepower, because he has this kind of memory, it's amazing. Solomon... He saw it. He said, okay, I'll buy it. Wow. And I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I live in Belgium, a country that has a nice standard of living. You live in the U.S., a country that has one of the highest standards of living in the world. Would you say people are happy? Sometimes I go to countries like Rwanda, Central African Republic, and it seems people are happier, but they have so much less. And Solomon says, I tried. I tried with things and pleasures and reputation and honor. And at the end of it, there was no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There was nothing that satisfied my soul. Often, when we achieve a major objective, we think, when I get the house done, when I get my diploma, when I finish paying the mortgage, and we get there, and what happens? It's like we've climbed the mountain and there's nothing left. 
I, I love football, real football. I mean, let me explain. This is a foot, and that's the ball. Hey, I don't know what you didn't get. I also appreciate watching a, an American football game. I like sports generically. But the real football, you know, in Europe we have uh, the Champions League. All the best teams in Europe, and they play against each other. My team is Liverpool. We won yesterday. We won, like, like, like I had something to do with it. But no, we were playing the Champions League final, and we had gone through all the stages, and I was so excited. And we get to the final, and we win. And two months later, we start all over. <laughs> isn't, isn't it crazy? I mean, a team wins the Super Bowl, and boom, it's start back on level number one. I mean, the pleasures of this world, we try to get things. I've, we have five kids, and I've seen my wife, you know, you, you, you carry this child, and then the child is born, and there's a depression, the postpartum depression. For some ladies, it is really awful, to the point that some have killed their child. Now, these nine months, and then you think, oh, oh. <laughs> and I talk to young couples, you know, oh, the child is born, yes, we can't sleep anymore. <laughs> Nothing in this world is really going to satisfy, satisfy us. I remember this great architect. I think I'm going to put this here so I have more space right here. He had built one of the highest, tallest towers in the world. They went through the inauguration and he committed suicide. Why? Because our hearts long for something else. Something that this world cannot, will not, can't satisfy. I remember watching a, a program on TV. I know you didn't watch it because it was in French. And there was a debate. And they were talking about family and about sex and all that. And there was a, a minister that was there with his wife. There was also a, a movie star from X-rated movies. And one, one time he started to boast, and he said, I have slept with hundreds of women. Well, he actually said in French, J'ai fait l'amour à des centaines de femmes. I've made love to, uh, to hundreds of women. And he says, you know, I would see one, I would desire her, I would get her. And then I had no desire for her anymore. Oh, I so wanted my colleague who was there to stand up and say, Buddy, you've never made love to a woman. All you had was intercourse. You don't know what it means for a soul to make love to another soul. I mean, within the bonds of marriage, as we grow, we learn it's not just body, it's two souls coming together, two spirits merging. This guy, he had settled for way less than, the, than what God can offer. I pitied him, actually, and the hundreds of women who had been used and abused by him. C.S. Lewis, you know C.S. Lewis? Isn't he a wonderful author? 
And if I were, was to ask you what books has he written, you would probably say, well, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian. Or you might say he also wrote the trilogy, the space trilogy, somewhat science fiction with Paralandra, that hideous strength, out of the silent planet. And if I dig a little more, you'll say, well, he wrote Mere Christianity, right? And he wrote The Great Divorce. And he wrote Surprised by Joy. And he wrote Through Tape Letters. Oh, yes. Pilgrim's Regress. But he also wrote some books that none of us have ever read about medieval literature. He was the foremost authority on two periods of English history. That's why he was a teacher at Cambridge. Amazing man. It, 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 it is said that if you quoted from medieval literature and the Middle Ages, he could tell you which edition it came from, what side of the page it was on. I mean, those guys, they depress me. <laughs> When I meet people who are that smart, it's, it's terrible. C.S. Lewis was one of those. C.S. Lewis was born to a couple and his mother died very quickly. His father never remarried. His father was part of that age, a harsh man. And so he put him into boarding schools and a little later he had him under great knock. This man was very intelligent, but he had nothing to do with religion. But he could teach people how to analyze, how to understand, how to dissect arguments. And so C.S. Lewis had this heavy regimen of anal analytical powers, Cartesian. And when he was a teenager, he was drifting towards atheism. When he turned 22, 23, he was an avowed, affirmed atheist. And at 33 years of age, he came to Christ, a reluctant con convert. I think he wrote, I came into the kingdom kicking and screaming, but it was true, and so you follow truth. That's the Cartesian part of C.S. Lewis. And it fulfills my deepest needs. That is the romantic side of C.S. Lewis, because C.S. Lewis took both sides Cartesian and the Epicurean, the, the Romantic, and he merged them together, which is the power of some of his writings. Why do we resonate with uh, the, the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia? Because it evokes something in you. We would like to be one of those through the wardrobe. You've, you've read, I think, that we had Echo 23 Uh, last September in the church that I pastor. Uh, anybody read about that? Our church clocked a hundred years. So we had to do something special. So we had to get all the big wigs and the officials together. We did. And they all had their two minutes, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to do something different. And as I told the Board of Elders, Could we do a festival? Could we try to get a park and do a festival? And those poor souls said yes. So we organized, and for about a year, we worked on this festival. And we had the kids' zone, 
We built, it wasn't my idea, but we built the kid zone around Narnia. It was fantastic. They went out of their way. If you want to see pictures, I mean, they created the animals. It was crazy. Then we had uh, music with a lot of bands and rappers. I mean, all, all styles. It was fantastic. And we probably had about 1,500 people who came by in a city our size. Amazing. And God was so great. If you're going to do Narnia, what do you need? What do you think, Emily? If I'm going to create Narnia, what do I need? What is the first thing I need? Are you Emily also? <laughs> Who said a wardrobe? You did? Yes, we need a wardrobe so we can go through it, through the coats. So we were looking for a wardrobe, and I'm driving back from Brussels where I've been at meetings, and on the side of the road, that's what they do in Belgium. If, if, you don't, if you want to dispose of something, you put it on the side of the road, and usually people take it. And I see this wardrobe, pretty big, pretty large. So, woo. so I was driving, and there, was, there were cars behind me, so I, I get home very close. I called Rebecca, who was in charge of the kid's zone. I said, Rebecca, I found a wardrobe. Do you still need one? She said, yes, Daddy, please go get it. Got the trailer, came back, swung around, and the owners were just outside. Uh, usually, when stuff is put outside, you don't want to talk to anybody. You just want to grab it and go. Hey. So I stopped, and I came, and I said, are you looking at the wardrobe? I said, yeah, it looks really nice. And they said, there's only one problem. There's no back. <laughs> what do you need for Narnia? A wardrobe without any back. I mean, isn't God, God good? C.S. Lewis was capable of intertwining, of merging rationality and emotion, the, the emotions. And that's why he wrote Surprised by Joy, a book in which he explains. He, sa he wrote, If I discover in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Logic and emotions. And as I was going through this world, he will explain, I couldn't find an answer to the longings in my heart except in Christ Jesus. And I discovered that the resurrection was not a myth. It was truth. It is what happened. And there is no other way to explain the resurrection of Jesus but the direct intervention of God. And so C.S. Lewis had to, to admit, to accept. And he wrote, We are way too easily satisfied as human beings. Way too easily satisfied. Do you remember the movie Waterworld? Have you seen it? No? Oh, maybe, yes, you're. It's, it's already a few years. Hmm. Hey, don't you laugh. A lot of you are my age. <laughs> Do you remember Waterworld? There's this moment where the little girl has been captured, and Captain, Captain Vex, is holding her on top of that sort of tower on the boat. 
the, the crew has become anxious. They, they want to find land. They want to get somewhere. And so there's like a little bit of revolution. It's brimming. And the captain brings her. And he says, oh, I've got her. And look, there's a map on, the, on her back. And cheers and cheers and cheers. And he throws a few bottles of something. And then he turns to his second. He says, oh, now they're going to row, row, row for several weeks. And I thought, they're so easily satisfied. Isn't that what we see in our culture and in our world? People will satisfy themselves with trinkets. When God promises eternal life, when he promises roads paved with gold, now honestly, I don't care about gold on the roads. I don't care about gold, actually. And I remember it was a bother to me. Uh, I was troubled by this, so I went to my uh, to the president of my Bible school, and I said, you know, when I look at this, it doesn't appeal to me. I, I don't think heaven is going to be that great to have streets paved with gold. Actually, when the sun is going to be up, I won't be able to see because it's going to shine. And, <laughs> it's, it's, and he says, Daniel, stop, stop, stop. Wise man. Think of what is the best thing in this world. Where is the most beautiful place you've ever been at? Think about it a second. What is the most beautiful scenery you've seen in your life? Where would that be? Grand Canyon, maybe? Huh? The Grand Canyon, maybe? I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I'm oh, oh, I'm sorry. I need to talk louder for you. <laughs> Sometimes my voice drops. Uh, it's a habit. What is the most beautiful place you've been at? The most beautiful scenery your eyes have seen. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I'm thinking Hawaii. Hawaii. Ah, nice. The ocean. My president said, Daniel, heaven is going to be ten times, a hundred times more beautiful than that. Think of the greatest pleasure you can have. Porterhouse steak. <laughs> thick and juicy. Heaven is going to be a hundred times better than that. He says gold is an image. It's an illustration of what it's going to be. But it's going to be greater than anything you've experienced. That's what Lewis was saying. And Lewis... I don't know if any of you, if you have Logos, you can get a, there's a book, and it's an audio book. Uh, talks about Lewis, the romantic rationalist. And there's like a couple chapters. Uh, I've been listening to them in the car, uh, and I listen to them again, because Lewis gives me a desire to be in heaven. <laughs> it's just amazing what he, what he says about it. We are too easily satisfied. Because all of us in our hearts, we know there's something better. Like the, the, the young rich ruler in Mark chapter 10. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He knew there was something over there. And he wanted to be sure he got 
to eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He probably knew something about this man. He was a a rule keeper. He was a very honest, pious young man. And so he says, hey, remember, Ten Commandments. I'm surprised, actually, he didn't quote the first and most important commandment. Mainly he talked about, like, the second commandment, to do good to others. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And I couldn't say that. (laughs) Could you? (laughs) There's no way I could have said that. I mean, by, by... By three years old, I was already testing my parents' uh, patience. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Wow, he was someone special. But you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. He knew that this man was breaking the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. This man had in his life a huge God, which was possessions, his, his wealth. Give it to the poor, and then do what is mo- most important, come follow me. That is actually the key. It's not the giving your wealth, it's the come follow me. Because giving your wealth will make you poorer, but it won't, it won't give you a pass to enter heaven. Following him, well, that's the, the main thing of the passage. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had all of his life before him, and he was probably thinking, I'm young, I'm good-looking, I'm, I'm rich, I'm going to have a ball. And... I know there's something in my heart I want to get to heaven. I want to get to eternal life. I want to be there. And Jesus says, okay, give up the rest and follow me. And you will be in heaven with me. You will be there. Sophie, a young girl from our church, um, raised in a good Christian family, daughter of an elder, she started to go astray. And when we baptized her, she said, Growing up, I took the decision to move away from God. I didn't want to follow the road that he was leading me on. I wanted to live my life by myself. And I had experiences. It seemed I had everything to be happy, but there was a deep hole in my heart, a, a feeling of being alone, And as I was growing, the hole was growing. This existential hole, this feeling of of insatisfaction was proof that God was pursuing me. And finally I caved into him. She's now a missionary in France. (laughs) About a millennium and a half earlier, Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. 
I had kids, and now I've got grandkids, and it's wonderful. You can see the pictures over there. But the games seem to remain the same. You still have that little game with holes, round, triangular, uh, uh, rectangular, star, and then you have the pieces, and you have to put them in the right holes. And some of my grandkids, like my, my kids did, they're not always patient. So they grab one and, <laughs> and they try to push and they'll stomp on it to try to get it through the hole. But there's only one that will fit in each hole. In each of our hearts, there is a hole. And we can try to stuff other things inside that hole. But it will not fill it. That's what Augustine was saying. You can try to take wealth, honors, you can try to take sex, you can try to take drugs, you can try to take anything to fill the hole inside, but that hole has a shape of God. And only Him. And He's the only one who fill it, fills it. We're too easily satisfied. Look at the little boy on the, on the left. He's make, making little mud pies in the back garden. I mean, we've all done it. <laughs> but imagine if down the street... There was a beach and an ocean and sand no end. Shouldn't he just give up the mud pies? And we're making mud pies in our lives. We're following. We're trying with drinking, sex, ambition, glory. When there's joy infinite for us, we're giving up the presence of God for a few pleasures. I've seen young people make a commitment to Christ and then they're following this pleasure, that pleasure, and soon they have no smile on their face, no joy in their heart because God has been pushed in the back corner. God wants us. The Bible is full of this joy. Listen. Listen what it says. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You lead me to the still waters. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. There is enjoyment. Christianity is not just something cerebral. I go to some churches and, I mean, you'd think God was dead. Because everybody seems dead. And even the, the leader, the pastor, or the priest, there's no joy. That is not true Christianity. True Christianity fills us with joy everlasting. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? God will fill Fulfill everything in our hearts. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know when God gave me that verse? You remember that I fell from a tree? Some of you might remember. It's a bunch of years ago, and it explains a few things. <laughs> I, it fell about 30, 30 feet. Falling was okay. Landing was the problem. I didn't do the landing too well. So I found myself in the hospital. 
my neighbor doctor gave me a shot of morphine. I mean, it's the only time I've been high. And I was high. Uh, we, we were having a, a problem with a, a church member, so discipline was on the way, like the Bible says. Uh, and I'm, I'm in the ambulance, I'm in the waiting room, and then the elders came over and I told them, hey, bring over this man and I'll take care of it right here. I mean, I was floating. <laughs> Broken arm, uh, punctured lung, and dismissed brain. But and I'm right there. I'm in the room. My, my GP came over and he says, Daniel, it's going to be okay, but there's probably a concussion, so no TV for you for a couple of days, and try not to think deep thoughts. <laughs> like I would think deep thoughts. <laughs> I'm halfway Pollock, so, <laughs> so I took the scriptures. And I figured I'm, I'm going to do it the scientific way. I teach how to interpret the Bible, and that's, I teach never to do this, but I did it. I took the Bible, and I went plop. <laughs> and guess which verse I was on? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. I said, Father, you brought me here for a reason. What are you going to teach me? I want to rejoice. And I want this room, on this, uh, on this ward, to be a place of joy. So I decided. Even though the nurse, uh, any nurses here? I know all about you guys. <laughs> I had a tube because of my, my lung. And they made it one foot too short, so I couldn't get to the bathroom. It's on purpose. I, I know it. So every time I had to call and get help instead, instead of going by myself. <sighs> but I decided I will rejoice. And the second day, my lungs sort of collapsed. And so the little bells, you know, beep, beep, beep. And the nurses came and the doctor came and he says, oh, oh, mm. I, I hate it when the doctor goes, mm. and he says, oh, I'm going to take you down. This will end of the day. Uh, the operating theater is empty, so I can take you down, and we're going to rearrange this. I mean, it's weird. When you go down into a surgeon's op operating theater, and there's nobody else, sort of wonder, which organs are they going to take and sell on the black market? <laughs> Not the brain, because it was gone. <laughs> so I'm down there. It's the closest I've ever been to being pregnant. Because I felt this tube moving inside of me. It was weird. And the doctor looks at me and says, So you're a Protestant pastor. Tell me, what is the difference between Catholics and Protestants? God has a purpose. Always does. Always will. I mean, what other chance would I have had of meeting the top doctor of our hospital, the top surgeon, but to be there with this wonderful hospital gown? That's another crime. <laughs> God knows. And if, if we look at our circumstances and say, Father, 
I will rejoice in whatever you set before me because I know that something wonderful is coming. Now, you go to a dentist and it says it's going to hurt a bit, right? (laughs) But you know it's going to hurt a little bit and after I'm going to be pain-free. I mean, part of this living on this earth is that. It's going to hurt a bit. But we're going to do what I've said for you and then, and then, pleasures like you can't even think of. Being in the presence of God 24-7. The young man came to Jesus and he said, I want to get there. What must I do? And Jesus says, well, there's, there's an exam. Actually, the young man said, there's an exam. What are the questions? I loved it when I could get the questions ahead of time when I was in high school. And in chemistry, I was awful in chemistry. You know why I was awful in chemistry? Because I didn't like to study. It doesn't help. But the son of the teacher was in my class. Ooh, that was cool. So we'd always say, Alain, that was his name. Could you get the questions for us? And he did. But he got the wrong questions. (laughs) The young man, he had the wrong questions. He thought he had the right questions, but he didn't. And Jesus saw the water. (laughs) Jesus says, you know, it's like anybody has a white kitchen, white cabinets, you do? White, white tiles? No. Imagine your hubby comes home from working in the garden and he's got his work boots on and he's got his gloves with soil and dirt and he comes into your kitchen. What are you going to say? <laughs> Get, <laughs> Get them shoes off! <laughs> in a way... The presence of God is like this wonderful white kitchen. Everything is pure, impeccable. Or it's like a surgeon's ward, the operating theater. And you spend time preparing. All the utensils have to be sterilized. And the surgeon, he gets help from the nurses putting on the gown and cleaning his hands. Heaven is the purest place you could ever imagine. And if anything impure got into heaven, what would it do? Heaven wouldn't be pure anymore. I mean, you look at your cabin and it's white. If there's one spot, it ain't white anymore. (laughs) There's a spot. And Jesus communicates over and over in Scripture. If we have sin in our lives, we can't get to heaven. We used to sing, no, you can't get to heaven on a roller skate. Remember that song? You can't get to heaven if there's sin in your life. I had wonderful parents, but they gave me something that was awful. They gave me the seed of sin in my heart, like your parents did. And they got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from their parents, who got it from Adam and Eve. All of us, we were born with a spiritual defect. And as I was very energetic and ambitious, I took this seed and I made it a tree in my life. 
Oh, yes, I was, I was in church. I was a PK, a pastor's kid or a problem kid, whichever way you like it. I was an MK, a missionary kid or a messed up kid. And people in church, they liked me. I would sing in the choir. I'd do all this stuff, but I was double agent. There was a dark side to my life. And when God took hold of me, I was planning my first break-in. My parents were missionaries, so which meant a lot of my desires went unmet. <laughs> and I wanted stuff. So I was planning a break-in, and I had timed it and how I was going to do it. But then God had other plans, and he took hold of my life, and he changed my life. And he took this tree of evil in my heart, and he plucked it. And he took this seed, and he cured it. Isn't that what the scripture says? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then there's the most important word in, in all of Scripture. But. I mean, whenever you see but in the Bible, you should circle it. It is the most important word in the whole of the Bible. But. Maybe one more. I, I'm, I'm sort of going. F- yes, I, I know. It's my fault. It's my fault. I pity the people who try to follow me with the PowerPoint. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we, we try many, uh, many different ways. We put on our righteousness, and, and we hide behind a facade. That's what I did. I was in church, and I could sing. I, I knew the songs by heart. I mean, I'm, I'm a PK. I was more in church than the spiders. I mean, I was there all the time. And people liked me and I looked good. But inside it, it was sin. Now we're, we're in Chicago, close to Chicago, so the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears fans here? <laughs> I was here in 88. Oh. The Bears won, the White Sox won, uh, the, the, the Bulls won. It was, it was a fantastic year. Do you have a section in your stadium where the fanatics go? <laughs> well, in soccer, you always have a section where the cop goes, K-O-P. Now, if you go to Anfield, that's uh, the stadium for Liverpool, there's one section, the cop is there, and it rocks. I mean, these are, they're the fanatics. They have all the gear, they, ha- they know all the songs, and they're Liverpool. Imagine there's another team in Liverpool, which is Everton. They're blue. Liverpool is red. Imagine I gear up. Now, I, I've told you I'm a Liverpool fan. Imagine I gear up in blue and I go to the Everton Stadium and I go into the cop. Will I be admitted? And then we start to watch the game and Liverpool scores and I go, oh, because something in me is red. 
I can put on all the righteousness of this world. I can be a church member. I can do all of the things. I can read the Bible. I can have my diploma for Sunday school 52 years without missing a single Sunday. But if the thing inside of me is not cured, I am a stinking sinner. (laughs) Because it needs to be plucked and changed. I remember the day I was up on the hill. I was taking Americans to visit a church. I like to take them there. It's a Catholic church, and it's special because all around the church, there are little engraved stones with names. The Rose of Sharon, the uh, Hope of Salvation, the Door of Heaven, uh, Salvation of Sinners. Whose names are those? In the Bible? The names of Jesus. But in that church, they give them to Mary. There's a big statue of Mary right there. And it hurts me because this is my Jesus and it's his glory. And you can't take his glory and give it to anybody else. But there was a service in progress. So we had to wait. We couldn't go in. And service came to an end. And people flooded out. I mean, it was like there was a fire in the church. Just and there was this elderly man. He was on, on crutches. And uh, I thought they were going to run over him. It was pretty horrendous. I'm just standing there. And finally, I, I went over to help him because I was a bit troubled. And his daughter was with him. And so she said, okay, can, you, can you stay with him? I'll get the car. I said, sure, 20 bucks. <laughs> so she comes with the blue car. We open the door. We ease him in, and she looks at me and says, My father, he comes every week to Mass. Isn't he deserving? You know what I felt like saying? The theologian? Yeah, he's deserving of hell like you and me. But I've learned a few things about diplomacy. I mean, being married for 40 years has taught me a few things about diplomacy. Honey, this dress doesn't really express your real beauty. Maybe you, sh- you don't say, ah, no, it's really bad, awful dress. It's ways. So th- this man, I wanted to tell him, you know, you can do everything. You can go on pilgrimage. You can do good works. It is not going to get you saved. It is only through Christ as we bring who we are as we open our hearts, that we can be saved. That is where it's at. I can hide my belonging to the other team with the garb. But what's inside is what counts to God. The young rich ruler, he knew he needed to be forgiven, but he wasn't ready to pay the price. He knew it. And Jesus said, give your false God and follow me and you will get so much more. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Savior. For by grace are you saved. When I was in college, if I had written that sentence, my teacher would have crossed it as a run-on sentence 
because, and he would have written repetition. I mean, imagine the number of repetitions. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. If it's by grace, it's not something you earn. It is the gift of God. Three times he repeats the same thing. Not a result of works. Four times. So that no one may boast. You can do whatever you want. You can do all the good, good works you want. To be saved, it won't, it won't bring you salvation. It is by faith, through Christ, who's paid the price. Oh, so we don't need good works. Not true. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works come after we're saved. When the source of pollution in our hearts has been treated, then we can serve. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what God is calling us to. Jesus says, I'm going to forgive you, young man, if you come to me. I will forgive the innocent and all the expressions, all of the sins you've committed. I will pay the salary of your sins by dying on the cross for you. I will die on that cross in your stead. And I will take upon me the anger of God. Follow me and I will take your sins. Follow me and I will lead you to the Father. Maybe there's someone here today who, who needs this Jesus. You've realized you're, you were like, you're like me, like I was, double agent, two-faced. In the church, I mean, everybody in the church thought I was saved. You can even be a missionary and be lost. John Wesley and Charles, they came to do missionary work in the U.S., and they got saved on the boat going back to England. They were missionaries. You can be an elder in a church and forgotten that it's only by the grace of God as we give him everything. Maybe there's someone today, this morning, that wants to say, I need him above everything else. And if that's the case for you, if you want Jesus in your life more than anything, if you want to see the doors of heaven open when you get there, I would invite you just to repeat after me a few words. You don't have to repeat the exact words I say. It's what your heart is saying. But if you want him more than anything else, let's close our eyes so we can concentrate. And we're each standing before God. And God says, are you ready? ready to meet me? What are you putting your faith in? And then we can tell him, and I would invite you to repeat, Oh God, I realize I am a sinner and that if I come before you now with who I am and my sins, you will turn me away. But I understand that Jesus died for me and I accept his offer of salvation. Forgive my sins because you died on the cross for me. Give me eternal life. Fill me with your spirit. And from today on, 
I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've made such a commitment, I'd love to talk with you afterwards or talk to your pastor because it's a new life that's beginning. It's like you got a new passport and it's a different kingdom, different ways, and we need to learn how to live in this new kingdom that we have been transferred to. So I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you've said, you know, I've drifted away. Come back to the passion of living for Christ. God bless you.